Oh, hello, Mitch. Oh, what's that, Mitch? You've made the selection on the randomizer today? And it's one of the best episodes of UFO? And you've pushed Marina down the well? Huh. Well, first things first, it's time for confetti check A-OK. -okay. And then we'll see about that well. <laughs> And straight away we know that this is quite an unusual episode of UFO because we don't have the opening title sequence on this one, which um, I think was done because the episode was just overrunning and there's a later episode, The Psycho Bombs, that also overran, so the easiest thing to cut was the opening titles. <laughs> but it rather it's rather appropriate that this, this episode doesn't have the traditional UFO opening because it's not really a traditional UFO episode, even though some things never changed. Lots of cigar smoking in the, the control room today, even more than usual. Come on, the street. Have a cigar, sir. Oh, thank you, Gray. Thank you. What's the occasion? my fifth one today. Just to get my father. Oh, congratulations. A boy or girl? Twins. Twins, huh? And you owe me another cigar. <laughs> I still don't know whether it was a boy or a girl. Yeah, funny after waiting so long. Everything seemed to happen so fast. We got down to the hospital. They didn't want to let us in. Well, we got in anyway. She was only in the operating theatre about it. I'm fascinated by it. I, I want to know what, how, how they got in. The hospital didn't want to let them in. How did they get in anyway? Anyway, Commander Strake is having a bit of a... bit of a reflective moment. Because he's thinking of a, another time he had a cigar. At his wedding. And that's where we are now. Back in, presumably, 1970-ish something. That was a toast. What, another one? Yeah. What to this time? Champagne. So this is the return appearance of uh, Suzanne Neva's Straker's wife's Mary, even though in chronological order this is the, the first time we see her. And I don't know if this wedding sequence is before or after the, uh, the Rolls-Royce crash in the, uh, the first episode. If it's before, then this is probably the earliest chronological moment of the entire series is Straker and Mary's wedding day, which we know from later episodes didn't work out so well. And here's the story of how that all went down. Where are you going, Ed? I'll be with you in a minute. And one of the many, many reasons I love this episode, and I'm not going to lie, I do love this episode, is the fact that they, they make full use of the flashback idea to show how much the characters evolved and changed, and in particular, Straker. Ed? What? There's a car coming! It's alright, we probably don't know them. Because Straker in these, these flashback scenes, he's so, so cheerful and, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so the, the random passerby in the car who slowed down to, uh, to sort of get a look at the hat that Mary was wearing there actually ended up working in Shadow Control later on. New suit, new wife. New husband, new life. But it is so, it's so nice to see Ed Bishop given a slightly different character to play here. It's a version of Straker who's still got that little bit of, um, you know, there's a little bit of joy in him, there's a little bit of 
optimism that's um, missing throughout much of the rest of the series. And of course, this is the episode where we find out why all that happened. It's... Confetti check. As much as it is uh, wonderful to explore the backstory of, um, of this show, how everything was set up, I think the highlight for me is, is Ed Bishop's performance in this, as it is throughout the whole show, in fact. I have a reservation. Ah, yes. Uh, for my wife and I. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Straker. So in the um, HD version, which I'm watching this episode on, we can see Calendar in the hotel lobby, or by the desk there. Um, looks to be either October, November. The picture on the calendar is of a... A Thank you, village with a lot of snow on it, but I'm sure that says either October, November. So we're near the end of whichever year this is set in. I'm going to assume 1970. Oh, slightly closer. Oh, I still can't make out the, the word on that. Oh, come on, Ed. Uh, no. Where are we going? Well, now, let me see. I, uh, I got the tickets right here. I just can't make out what they say. No. Now, let me see. Uh, uh, London, England to... No, I just can't make out that definition. No. Could be anywhere. Let me see. And considering that the last time they worked together, uh, Ed Bishop and Suzanne Neve, they were playing two characters who were very cold, very distant towards each other, and ultimately concluded that episode with the absolute destruction of any kind of relationship between the two of them they are they are both playing such a warm believable couple compliments of the management sir throughout this episode there's a real really genuine uh, that's quite all right sir. love and affection between the two of them it's all so beautifully done Betty check yeah we blew it go away <laughs> Now, I first saw UFO when the BBC repeated it in, I think, 1995 they started repeating it. And I I was quite late to the, the idea of uh, recording episodes off TV, so I didn't have much on video when I was a kid. I was so impressed by the previous episode of UFO that I'd seen that this was the episode from which I started to record them on tape. And as a kid... I was so disappointed with this episode. It was just, you know, where were the spaceships? Where were the aliens? Where were the cool vehicles and all the rest of it? But um, you had absolutely none of it here. Now, as an adult, this is... Well, come on, darling. You. If not my favourite, then certainly in the top three. Just happened to find her couple of tickets on the floor. And of course the uh, the previous episode to this one, the one that had inspired me to start recording them on video, was Close Up, which um, I, I for some reason loved as a kid. We'll get into that more if Close Up ever turns up, but uh, yeah, what was I thinking? Close Up, spectacular. This one, The Pits. No. And speaking of The Pits, just before they're going to board the flight for their honeymoon, Straker is being called away by a little grey man in a little grey suit. What's wrong, darling? I have to see General Henderson. Now. It's all right, darling. I understand. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. And again, just going by a question of priorities, you could maybe look at Mary and see that she... It's all right. I married a colonel in the military intelligence. 
that she treated Straker unfairly, but this episode shows that, no, not only was she very patient and very willing, she really, she really tried her best to make this work. And again, that's, that's part of the real tragedy, not only of this episode, but the whole series and the Straker character is just... Well, how are they treating you, sir? Good intentions that yielded just disaster after disaster. Yes, that's what you need in this job. An understanding wife. Okay, so this is after the the uh, Rolls-Royce crash. So it wasn't quite the earliest we've seen chronologically. A lot of it's going to fall on your shoulders. The Special Committee of United Nations meets day after tomorrow. We get the go, no-go decision then. And you want me to be there. Now, who else? And it's odd that they reference the car crash. General Henderson is, is injured. We didn't even know from the first episode whether he survived or not. But there's no mention made of the fact that Straker would have you know, been in a car crash around this time. Not long before his wedding. Did Mary know anything about that? I mean, we saw he was you know, coughing up blood. Did, um, did he have any... Internal injuries? We don't find out. Ah, oh, but even back in the day, he still had that old uh, Destruct Negative attaché case. And that's a brief cameo from Shane Rimmer checking his papers. Would you turn around, Colonel? That's also uh, Mike Stevens sat at the desk there, and of course both of them ended up working for Shadow as well. There's a lot of people in this episode who ended up working for Shadow. Straker. Gentlemen. First of all, I should like to apologize on behalf of General Henderson for his absence. As you probably know, he's still recovering from injuries he received in the car crash. Thank you, Colonel. No doubt you will make an excellent substitute. I also admire with this show uh, how they, they don't the sort of... The way for us to proceed is by a process... They process. call back... They, they mention things like the car crash, but they don't explain to newcomers what this actually, what, what, what car crash we're referring to. We know it's the one from the very first episode, but that was like 16 weeks ago in, in broadcast order. It's surprising that they would expect people to know that. But props to them for respecting their audience enough to remember something like that. I believe the setting up of Shadow is not only necessary, but absolutely vital. Fleet of submarines? Base on the moon? Satellites? I love that of the, the three things on that list, it's satellites that gets the most baffled reaction from that delegate. Not, you know, fleet of submarines based on the moon, that's fine, but satellites? Whereas now today we're like, you know, maybe you could have a fleet of submarines. You can have the satellites, no problem, but a base on the moon? No, we haven't done that yet. And how long will it take to set up this defense organization? We estimate seven to ten years how is shadow to be organized um, regarding personnel hmm? on strictly military lines we hope to recruit the best people available and if that doesn't work i'll hire that guy who drove past my wife earlier i'm, I'm fairly flexible on the personnel thing band of heroes well there's no question in my mind gentlemen there's only one man for the job general henderson he's the obvious choice any further questions it's also nice this scene to to see the beginnings of that steely straker. We've seen the the, the happy cuddly straker, and, and now we're seeing the uh, the slightly more familiar straker, the the military officer. Monsieur Duval, I understand you have three daughters. Yes. Could I borrow one? I pray that you never find yourself looking down at one of their mutilated bodies. 
I hope that the next UFO incident is not in your hometown. Ooh. Thank you for your time. He's going to put that on a Christmas card later this year. They appointed the Commander-in-Chief. Who? You. Again, it was unanimous. Uh, it seems the French delegate, Duval, was particularly insistent. Oh, God, now I've got to protect his daughters. Sir, I don't even know where they live. You can always refuse. But if you do, it's got to be now. There'll be no turning back later. And that's one of the great what-if moments of the UFO timeline, I think, if Straker had said no, or if the delegates had appointed uh, General Henderson as per Straker's recommendation, how differently things would have gone in Straker's life, and how differently Shadow itself might have might have turned out. But uh, already we're seeing the uh, the cracks beginning to form between between Straker and Mary. I love you. And I suppose I can be fair to myself and, and think, yeah, as a kid, we're, we're now seeing Straker and Mary looking at houses. It's um, it's not the most thrilling. I can understand a, a, a younger viewer not being too impressed by this, but the fact that this episode exists is, yes, I think it's just absolutely crucial to the series, this one. And we don't get to see those sort of um, like backstory type episodes in in any other Anderson series, really. I would love to know the the sort of thought process that that brought this one up. Um, was it just we need something a bit cheaper? Well, I can't imagine it was too cheap to make because we've got to make all this. Had a busy day. All these, well, like the Strakers home. Um, we've got to sort of rip the the guts out of the Shadow Control set. Well, I'm sorry, I have to work. And of course, this is an episode written by Tony Barwick, who I've previously credited quite heavily for being um, one of the silliest writers of the Anderson universe. I mean, you look at any episode of Terrorhawks or Dick Spanner to see that confirmed. So this is... This is a very... surprisingly serious... Well, not serious, but more... Um, straight episode... There are moments of levity and, and lightness between the characters, but ultimately it's all going to spiral into into despair and heartbreak. Glad to know you, Freeman. Welcome to Shadow. Thank you, sir. I've been kicked up here to keep a fatherly eye on you. I'll be holding the purse strings. Well, that sounds like it could be a lot of fun. I also wonder how much of this is perhaps based on real life, um, with the with any if the relationship between Straker and Mary is in any way comparable to the relationship between Jerry and Sylvia because I think Jerry has said more than once that the um, a question of priorities was kind of based on sort of you know his him having to juggle his priorities between being a producer of a series and being a you know a husband and a father and I'm just wondering if that if the fact that Straker and Mary's relationship disintegrates over the course of this episode, if that was, if any of that was based on what Tony Barwick knew was going down at the time. I suppose the next step will be is you won't bother to come home at all. Now that's not a bad idea. Then maybe when I did get home, I'd get a decent reaction from my loving wife. Oh, ow. Oh, and again, both Ed Bishop and Suzanne Neva just playing this absolutely beautifully 
I didn't mean that. And you can understand the, the feelings and the anger and frustration on, I need a break. on both sides. What do you say we go out next week sometime and paint the town red? And as much as I didn't like this one as a kid, because, as I said, very stupid kid, I wish we could have had more more like this through the series. I think the fact that the episodes were being shown in a largely random order for most regions would have prohibited any more... any kind of ongoing character stuff like this. So the only way you can really do it is as a one-off. However, the fact that we have this... Not, not only is such a great character piece, but also shows the meticulous setting up of the, the, the entire Shadow organization, which we never saw in any other series. And it's something we would all love to see, the, the setting up of International Rescue or Spectrum or whoever. But that just has to be left to our imaginations. But with this, we get a fully... I hear they're installing a voice print identification mechanism. A fully realised look back that, that touches on so many issues, like that, like the voice print, uh, voice, uh, voice print identification. I think the show would be a lot poorer for not having this episode. And I also love this moment. We go from the happy world of upstairs to... Yeah, here we go. We're down. We're in the bunker. There's that familiar music. the familiar Shadow HQ corridor, but of course everything's been... They've had to rip all the guts out of the set because this is the point where it's being built, electricians are in putting up wiring, and I've always wondered how... what set designers think when they get a script like this, where they have to take an established set and totally change it. Either it's like a version from a parallel universe, or in this case it's a past version, or it's a future version. Do they sort of like... Oh, good, a challenge. Or do they think, oh no, we've got to rip all the, we've got to rip all that stuff off and change this and pull that out. And but it is great to see it all sort of half finished like this. It's all beginning to take shape. Yes, this is it. Shadow HQ. They haven't even got the drinks machine in yet. Yeah, Alec is uh, is looking into that corner where the drinks machine would be. How's Mary? Mary? She's problem number one. Trade her in for a new model, Alec. You can't do that, can't you? I want to tell her. You can't do that. She's got to know, Alec. She's got to realize how important all this is, how much time it takes. You want to risk her life? That's just what you'd be doing, you know. Well, you know what our security boys are like. Like the CIA look like a bunch of Sunday school teachers. If you told Mary and they found out, the security of all this, billions of dollars, it outweighs any individual, you, me, Mary, anybody. And that, again, is another another what-if moment if Straker had told Mary or just given her some indication of what was going on and how important all this was, because there are, there are several moments in the second half of this episode where I just like, tell her, go on, please, please tell her. But, of course, you can't, and you, you wonder if she would have believed a word of it or if... Or if the security, the security boys would have uh, would have got rid of her, because I think there's a, a deleted line in the script from that point, where Freeman tells Straker that um, the limo driver who, or the Rolls Royce driver who survived the crash in Identified, was subsequently um, bumped off by Shadow Security. 
which I wish they'd left in because that was another another sort of you know it, it would have established very early on that Shadow was uh, a rather rather ruthless and uh, unscrupulous organization in uh, certain fields. The day before that, drink. You know I don't drink, Mary. This is um, an occasion. And he's only just realised that she's wearing a dress and she's got flowers out. You mean... Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> Here, are you? And again, this is such lovely playing from Ed Bishop. Uh, I have to make a phone call. Suddenly treating Mary as though she's... Oh, no, uh, no, I, uh, I have to get out of that decorator. Yeah, she blow away in a slight breeze. Do up that nursery, paint it blue. Uh-uh. Pink. So there we go. That's that's hopefully going to bring Straker and Mary closer together again. Going to going to fix everything. Going to have a baby. Everything will be fine. And that's not going to result in any problems anywhere down the line. We don't seem to be able to find the fault, sir. Well, keep checking. And don't look at me like that. You're not the only one with a home to go to. Uh, actually, I don't have a home, sir. I just I just live here. Please, can I go home with you, sir? And once again, Mary has another long night on her own. Put me through the supply. Reading a magazine that seems to have misspelt oh, the word comfort. I spelt it comfort. He confirmed the first week in April. First week in April for no, a... He's, um, he's Wait, I'm, I'm still confused about he's the timeline of your marriage. When did you guys get married? I know, Mother, but... The calendar, I'm sure the calendar said George. October, November. No, I'm... You've been very quick there. No, that baby. Of course there's not another woman. No. Unless we've already passed by like a year by this point. It's a bit hard to tell. Bye. It's a bit hard to tell how how long a period of time all this takes place over. But uh, Mary's mother has put the idea in her head that uh, Ed might be carrying on. When all he wants is to be at home with her and not have to be faffing around with this um, broken computer in shadow control. Seems fine. Good. We've got one of our computers working. Now you've got to fix the other 15 before you go home. Oh, and thanks, fellas. I'll repay you by giving you rubbish jobs and sticking you on a submarine. I, I'm, I'm trying to think what other Anderson show would benefit from an episode like this. And... I think certainly the fact that there was never a backstory for Space Precinct of any kind is probably a point against that show. But I can't imagine any of the other series would be able to pull off a how it all began, how everything was set up type episode. I'm fine. With the skill that this one does, because you know, maybe Thunderbirds with the um the emotional core, you know, of the story being um Jeff's wife Why aren't you in bed? dying. I was waiting for you to come home. But there isn't really that emotional core to the other the other series that would make a story like this worthwhile. Where have you been? You know I can't tell you. Oh, for God's sake, Ed, break the bloody rule just for once and tell me. I'm your wife. And you know I can't tell you. Every single time I want him to tell her, I just No. I just want I this to all go well for Mary, both of them, because I... What's more important to you, me? Or whatever you do until three o'clock in the morning? I can feel for both of them. I can see where both of them are coming from, and... It is... heartbreaking. I love you. 
I'm going to have your child. When he's born, will he have a father? Or a man he hardly knows? Someone he sees... And there aren't many that episode... Uh, um, there aren't that many Jerry Anderson episodes that you can say that about. You still have a choice, Ed. Perhaps you should decide before it's too late. I don't know if the fact that it, this is such a, a one-off episode in that respect makes it more successful. If they'd done more like this, maybe this one wouldn't have seemed so special. But... Oh. Well, the control complex is complete. I just love this. All we need now are the technicians. How are the first batch of recruits making out? The original 50 have been whittled down to eight. Eight? Yes. Second batch seemed to be doing a little better. We've uh, killed off the uh, 42 who didn't pass, of course. That goes without saying. Our security people are very sharp on that point. Spring. My son will be born in the spring. Your son, how did... How did that happen? How did you have a son, Ed? What? How does that work? That's another moment. I would love to know what Alec was going to say. Your son, how did that... All I can think is, how did that happen? What, what, how do you make babies, Ed? And for all of um, Mary's unwarranted concern that Ed was having an affair, we now find him in a car park meeting Nina Barry in secret. Being watched by a uh, suspicious little chap with a, uh, a notepad. And of course there was another deleted scene here where... Um, it's, Keith Ford is a TV interviewer interviewing Nina Barry and some other person who's talking about flying saucers and he recruits Ford and Nina as a result of that show. I always found it very odd that um, that Keith Ford was recruited to Shadow for being a, a, a TV host. But um, I, mean, I suppose he did, he did well in the end. Private investigator is keeping a log on all Straker's hours. He's spending a lot of time at Nina's flat. But of course, he's not alone in there. We have, um... Well, it's been a long, hard... Alec, and... We're ready. Joan is on the floor there. She doesn't get any lines in this episode. I think that's the only time in the series you see her without the purple wig. I know how hard you've all worked. And Nina, I think we can and Masters, and Ford, and Maxwell. Is over. And I want to thank you all. So we can assume from that that these are the people who are, you know, these are key members of Shadow. These are the ones who put so much in in the early days. In that case, it's rather interesting the way Straker ultimately rewards them, because obviously Alec is his best mate, that's not an issue. But he sticks Nina and Joan on the moon, he sticks Masters and Maxwell at the bottom of the ocean on a submarine, and he keeps Ford around, mostly to yell at. Mary? Which is all... I, I found that all very amusing. I think it's also rather... Mary? It rather sort of increases the sadness that uh, none of those characters were around in the show's later days, except for Nina. And even sadder... I'm leaving you, Ed. My mother had you followed. You were followed to the flat, but the girl even had a photograph with the time, everything. But Mary, darling, I can explain I it to you. I don't want to hear! Please, just listen to me, will you? Now, just give me my case. You're not going anywhere. You're going to stay right here and listen. And I love that when Straker just finally loses it. And he's like, no, no you are just... Oh. All right. 
All right, I'll, I'll tell you everything. Yes, do it, do it, do it. Tell her. Please. Please. And I think that maybe crosses the line, but in a moment of intense emotion and total despair, it's understandable. It's not forgivable, but it's understandable. Unfortunately, it's all too much for Mary. Yep, she's tumbled down the stairs and it's off to the hospital in the ambulance. And interestingly enough, Mary's father, who um, was there when she fell, you know, Straker let him in just, uh, just after she fell, he's not with them in the ambulance. And yet when they enter the hospital itself, he's there with Straker and Mary suddenly. It's teleporting dad. He wasn't he was not in that ambulance, and then suddenly he's there. If only his magic teleporting powers had, had passed to Mary. None of this would have happened. Your wife has an internal hemorrhage. They're taking oh, her into the theater. Carpenter from neighbours? What are you doing here? No doctor. If you have to choose between my wife and I understand. But wait, I wasn't finished. And it's raining, because it would be raining. Oh, even that, that thunder sound effect has showed up to uh, to make Straker's day even more rubbish than it already was. Oh, poor guy. It's a boy. And here's Lou Carpenter again, Dr. Lou Carpenter. How is she, Doctor? As well as can be expected. She'll be all right. Yes. When can I see her? Well, when she wakes up. I also love that uh, this actor, Tom Oliver, later appeared again as a shadow um, bomb disposal person in Sound of Silence. It makes me think that Straker gave him that job as like, you know, thank you for looking after my wife and my son. I could use a man like you in my organisation. It's the same with the nurse in Question of Priorities. She later ended up working on, on the moon base. And here we have that wonderful moment of Straker waving at his son. The, the nurse walking past embarrasses him and I find it a really ghoulish moment that because we are seeing Straker seeing his son for the very first time but no matter what order you see this episode in whether you see it in broadcast order or production order we know where that little baby's life is gonna go we know from the very first moment that Straker lays eyes on him. Oh. We know something he doesn't, and um, it's just oh. another moment of of horribleness. Was it? Ed said he had to go. He uh, said he couldn't tell me why. And then there's that, just to, just to make it all even more sad. You just get well again, and we'll sit down quietly with your mother and have Oh, poor Mary, it's all fallen apart and she'll never know why. And even the birth of her son isn't gonna... Sorry about this, Ed. Ultimately isn't going to, uh... You know I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been absolutely necessary. ...bring her long-lived joy because, again, we know what happens to that baby. Congratulations. But it's cigar time again, leading us back to the present day in Shadow Control. There's too much cigar smoke around here, Alec. Tell somebody to turn on the fan and get rid of it. Are you feeling okay, Ed? Next you'll be saying we need less coffee machines. Lieutenant Gray. Yes, sir. Take a week's furlough starting now. Yes, sir. That's an order. 
Writer. And some people have said that um, it's a bit odd considering how much this episode focuses on characters and, and backstory that the the shadow operative who just became a father is a guy we've never seen before and would never see again. Which I suppose makes a kind of sense, but I prefer to think of it as the fact that we saw so many of the regular characters were there at the beginning of Shadow. Freeman, Ford, Masters, Maxwell, Nina, and Joan. And it kind of, the, the fact that it's not them who had the kid kind of suggests that they too had to sacrifice so much in order to get Shadow up and running. Just, well, I can't imagine anyone having to sacrifice as much as Straker did, but certainly they would have had to, you know, they could have had any number of failed marriages and relationships. We'll never know, but it's, uh, it's just something to think about. Anyway, that was Confetti Check A-OK, -okay, and it's one of my not only favourite UFO episodes, but probably favourite Jerry Anderson episodes of all time. And there's not a single model vehicle, there's not a single explosion, just characters and backstory and, oh, good stuff all the way. I can't imagine UFO would have been able to do much more, any sort of similar episodes like this, unless we did an episode where, I don't know, the story of how Straker bought his car. But, yeah, going back to the early days of Shadow, wonderful stuff, and of course, utterly heartbreaking. The destruction of Straker's marriage. <laughs>